This is the Good Fire Podcast. Stories of Indigenous fire stewardship, cultural and social empowerment, and environmental integrity. Hey folks, welcome back. Episode 5, Good Fire Season 2. We are here and we're going to Africa. Yay, finally! The fire continent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was a really, really cool conversation talking to Tando. Um, we really got into kind of painting the picture, right? That's what I said, I think, in the last mm-hmm. outro, but painting a picture of what fire is like in Zimbabwe and uh, its relationship to – or the indigenous people's relationship to fire, how they use it. And, uh, yeah, it was really, really neat to just kind of t- to hear that different perspective for sure. Yeah, I mean, for me too, you know, being – indigenous but from like turtle island north america i have to admit i'm super naive and not knowledgeable about fire in africa besides you know the academic papers that i've read but oh, actually- don't worry it comes out in the podcast amy <laughs> we're very aware <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it, i mean to talk to him and have him just be so open with some of our very basic questions um, was fantastic. And yeah, I learned so much about, you know, how fire is managed in Zimbabwe and the different types of ecosystems they're dealing with, different indigenous Mm -hmm. uses of fire, issues that they have around that. Um, Yeah, it was fantastic. I I just learned so much um, in this one. Yeah, he was very patient with us, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and funny too. Awesome. Yeah, he was great to meet and and chat with. Yeah, it was great. So without any further messing around, let's just dive right into this conversation. Let's go to Africa. Here we go. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been avoiding saying your name because I don't want to butcher it. So I'm going to, we're going to start off by saying, uh, Please just like say your name, introduce yourself, and we really want to know uh, how you got into the the fire management space and uh, indigenous fire management space particularly, and and why it's important to you. Good. Um, so I'm Tando Kamlimu, and my surname is Nondo. A year in um, in Zimbabwe, in in southern in southern Africa. Yes, um, so I've been um, involved with uh, fire issues uh, for for over ten years now, and um, well, m- most of our fires um, are, are where the people are. Uh, so because of that, then we have to we have to interact with the people to to understand how they are using the fires and and um and how they can better use the the better use better use the fires in cases with where some of the traditional uh, uses have been disturbed or disrupted mm-hmm. so what's your role where where do you work i think you're at the is it the department of environment yes yeah, so um i'm i'm, I'm I'm working at the Environmental Management Agency, which is a, a parastatal under the Ministry of um, Environment. Uh, so this is an organization that is charged with um, uh, monitoring the state of the environment, licensing um, uh, issues related to the environment, and also monitoring pollution. Uh, 
peatland water and air pollution of which uh, fires do contribute to 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 that so um, my role here is uh, basically in charge of the GIS and remote sensing and also the research um, the research unit and because I'm um, I'm in the GIS and remote sensing unit we are the ones that monitor where the fires are occurring using remote sensing and then also um, we're keeping on checking the trains in terms of frequency of where which are the areas that are frequently burning and also even monitoring during the fire season where are the fires are burning um, there are some uh, fires that um are um are abated so 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 to, so to say so those ones we have to monitor them the ones that will be likely to um infrastructure moving towards communities um here we've got some sparse um protected areas national parks so if your fire starts in a in a in a national park uh, it can it 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 can move on for four days so you have to keep on monitoring it which direction it is going and the like mm-hmm. okay and do you have fire suppression in zimbabwe do you go out and and fight the fires that get out of control Yes, we we do have fire suppression. Uh, of course, it is not extensive as the Canada Fire Extension uh, fire suppression, but uh, basically our, our fire suppression is based um, at the community level, where um, the, the 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 communities themselves, because that is where everything happens. They are the ones that are farm that the ones that are affected by the fires so uh, our fire suppression is at that level is at that level um, uh, by the communities using mostly uh, fire beaters uh, mm-hmm. the, the simple fire beater uh, that is the greater part of the fire of the fire management but of course when we then now come to established entities such as your national parks that's when then they will have a, a pit of fire pauses and then also and then also coupled with that they will have also um, a, the fire pitters of course but um, a, the institutions with the extensive fire management are those that are have plantations uh, those that have got plantations because that is business to them so um, if their trees are bent, then they're out of business. So they really invest a lot in having um, fire monitoring gangs during the fire season, working working 24 hours, and also having pauses on, 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 on standby, and also having fire spotters to, to monitor the, the situation. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. What kind of um, trees are they growing in the plantations? So um, the, you you will have the, the, the pines, the white, the wattle, and um, interestingly, those are very fire prone. So yeah. if a pine plantation catches fire, um, you can't just stop it in a day. Um, mm-hmm. One, the trees tend to be they are tall. We are mm-hmm. talking of uh, more than um, more than seven meters. And the terrain is, is, is on um, on flat terrain. It's in the slopes, 
and also the altitude is higher. So, so those conditions on their own before the fire starts, uh, they make it difficult for fire management. So mm. as such, um, in those areas, in the plantations, which are relocated in agroecological region one and two of the country, and the agroecological region one and two of the country uh, receives very high rainfall and also and also has good soils. So in those areas, um, you do want to try by all means to ensure that there are no there are no fires that start to to protect mm. your investment. I think uh, we're on a nice path here of, I think, painting a good picture for folks that are listening of, of uh, like what the landscape is like where you are in Zimbabwe and the relationship, the natural relationship of your landscape to fire. So uh, would you like to maybe just try and paint a, a broad picture of what the landscape is like and that, and that relationship to fire? Well, so the country is um, 39,000 um, square kilometers. That is the size of the country. And annually, we have about um, a million hectares of, of, of land burning to wildfires. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. If you then look at how the country is like, um, we have what we call agroecological region one, which receives uh, more than 1,000 millimeters of rainfall uh, annually. And this is the the agroecological region where we have got our forestry plantations. This is where we have our tea plantations, our coffee. Um, and we do extensive farming there in terms of dairy farming and also beef farming. Mm. Uh, in that agroecological regions, we also do maize, maize production. And then we have agroecological um, region two. This receives um, uh, uh, between 700 to 1,000 and and 50 millimeters of, of rainfall. And wow. this one, uh, mostly intensive farming is done here of maize, tobacco, and, and livestock. And then we have got number three, which is agroecological region uh, number three. It receives um, 500 to 800 millimeters of rainfall. Um, and this one, usually there is a seasonal drought uh, and also severe meters in dry spells. Yes, semi-intensive farming is done. And then we've got agroecological region 4, which receives 450 to 650 millimeters of rainfall. And it is subjected to to frequent seasonal drought. And mostly livestock farming is done here. Forestry, you'll get your gazetted forestry here. And then we've got wild stock in these wildlife in these areas and also um, tourism. And then lastly, we've got a a natural region 5, which receives uh, um, less than 450 millimeters of rainfall. And here the rainfall is erratic, uh, and it is um, only suitable for extensive farming. We also have in this uh, region uh, wildlife and 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 also tourism. So, in in terms of fire frequency, fire frequency will will basically be cutting cutting across your agroecological region 1 up to agroecological region 4. In the agroecological region 5, 
it it is not extensive because there is less undergrowth. There is nothing to burn in that region. The region is is less undergrowth and and is dry. So okay. that is why we would re- report less fires in those areas. Okay. So uh, what about the? Sorry, I was just going to ask about the fire cause. What is usually is it is it natural or is it human ignited fire? Yes. So um, the fire cause uh, over ninety percent of them they are human driven. Uh, human driven from land clearing. The uh, fire is the cheapest way to for one to do land clearing. Um, the you you will also find. Um, Fire being used for um, land management, tick control. Um, so um, after the rainfall season, they will uh, burn so that um, they, they manage the pests in, in the area. It can also be used for agricultural purposes, for for dealing with uh, cotton stock, tobacco stocks. You set you set fire, and then there is also the mischievous ones. Uh, when it can be arson, uh, that's a small percentage, and also and also mining. So what happens with the mining? That's an interesting one. Um, so guys that do gold panning, they would use um, uh, gold detectors. For the gold detector to work effectively, there should be no no grass, uh, so that there is no interruption. So they would first set fire. They deal with the grass, and then they come with their gold, and then they come with their with with, with their gold detectors. So the, the that is the greater part of part part of part of the fire, really. Uh, the the spontaneous fires, um, there are very few, or the or, or the other fires they may come from our coal powered locomotives, or they can come from um, electrical faults. So those are the other fires. And um, so-called natural fires um, ignited by glass and such objects, they, they constitute a, a very small percentage. Okay, and so light, you don't have lightning? Um, this just shows my naivete about the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the situation there. Yeah. Do we have lightning? Uh, but mm-hmm. it still constitutes um, um, that small percentage, uh, that small 10% okay. that I referred to. Okay. Yeah, and also and also accidents. Right. I think it would be helpful. Um, so, like in, in throughout the series, uh, like I mentioned to you uh, before we started recording, uh, we often talk about the effect of colonization on on the historical fire regime versus versus post. So we we seem to have all these conversations always have this thing we're talking around, which is the colonizational aspect of it, and uh, we kind of have before and we have after. Um, and I wanted to know, like, we often talk about what the natural fire history is in an area pre-colonization and then how fire suppression affected that historical fire regime, uh, especially with the loss of cultural burning. Um, and I wanted to know if in Zimbabwe, like, obviously, I know colonization it was there as well. I just wanted to know, to try and paint the picture of, of how it compares to, say, like, you know, Canada or Australia or something like that, Um can you can you speak to that a little bit? Maybe how how the fi- the natural fire history was disrupted, or when it was, or if it was. Yeah, and natural, including indigenous peoples too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, 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 so 
basically uh, fire for the indigenous uh, is, is the principal source of energy um, before all this electricity um, uh, came. Uh, this is how um, the indigenous have been keeping themselves warm um, when traveling. And this is how they've been. This is how they've been um, cooking, um, and, and 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 this is how they've been um, administered some of the traditional um, medicines or pre- prepared them. And um, when they were having their um, uh, rituals, um, uh, most of the time uh, they would be done um, around the fire. The dances would be around the fire. Um, the, um, the, the storytelling long back um, would be told stories around the fire. Not would not have stories around the TV telling us the stories. But um, whereas for me personally. Um, um, when I grew up, uh, my grandmother would tell me stories uh, would be around the fire. They're relating the, how they grew up and um, what um, the difficulties they encountered. So, because back then life was organized in a different, uh, in a different way, uh, which others thought was not organized, but it was organized in its own in, in its own way. Um, um, with um, with low population, it meant that uh, uh, you could easily be on the move uh, from one area to the other. When you when the fertility of your of 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 your of your plot of your farming plot was poor, you could easily move to the next plot. But um, with um, time moving and population increasing, it meant that people were to settle in one place. So with people settling in one place, it meant that um, you, you had to then change your behavior in terms of uh, how you use fire, in terms of how you interact with the environment. Because what it then meant is, is that um, the land was no longer... Um, expansive in courts, uh, but it meant that um, you had to change um, uh, the way you, you treated the land and the way you interacted with your neighbor. Because long back, um, the adjacent communities were far apart. Uh, so uh, the communities could, could easily manage to 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 use the environment in in, in 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 any way that they wanted. So when colonialism came, it it came with um with laws, uh, acts, acts of parliament to determine um, um, when uh, one does what to determine. That you cannot do, you have fires outside your environment now, you can have them there and, and, and the like. So that was a management strategy. But previously, uh, the communities themselves, they did their own ways of, 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 um, of dealing with the fires. Uh, it was, a, the fire was a, 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 a management tool 
it was a, basically a tool that they knew that they have to to use well because if they used it used it badly it could it, it could have negative uh, negative impacts but um the, the principally with with changing um a, a patterns of of segments that now people now have to cycle cycle in once in one place uh, that we now we have to um, we, we are now starting to have other alternative sources of energy so those that were not using fire as a source of energy did not um, think about those that are still using fire as a source of energy we then um, um, we were now starting to to set um, the regulations that were not uh, pro good fire um, that ignored the the good fire, but the regulations start looking at everything as a bad fire, which oh. uh, when you look at it, there is good fire. That's why we're here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it sounds like it sounds like the history of uh, like of agriculture in your area is is pretty long indeed, and that a lot of the relationship to fire has to do with with. Uh, uh, taking care of the land for for that purpose is that accurate to say? Yes, yes. Um, so, principally, fire will be around agriculture and and uh, provision of um, energy for livelihood, for mm. energy for cooking and in that. Right, right. So basically, the fire is at the center of the livelihood of 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 the rural population. So I'm just wondering here, like we have the boreal forest, which is basically a fire dependent ecosystem, like it needs fire in order to, you know, for seeds to to propagate and other things. Um, I'm just wondering it, um, for your natural uh, vegetation there, is it also fire dependent? Does it need fire or, or is it okay, you know, with not burning? So Zimbabwe is located in a savanna. So a savanna is basically shaped to a large extent by fire. So it is it is fire dependent, but we we have got what we call the good fires and the bad fires. If the fire comes too too intense, it's not good. It's not it's not good for the savanna as well. So um, if low intensity fires um, are, are good, they won't even negatively affect even the nutrients and and even the the pollution thereof will will be minimal. But the the high end intensity fires have got um, um, negative impacts on the ecosystem because it can actually even end up leading to the to the trees themselves eventually dying if 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 the fires are highly intense. Interesting. Sounds very similar to here. Here too, we do the good fire in kind of the the shoulder season, you know, of summer. So when the, the fires can be done in a more low risk way. So here it's around the snowfall, which I don't imagine is the same there <laughs> for, for safe burning times. <laughs> we'll have to bring you up here one time <laughs> to do some spring burning with us here. So spring burning to you will be early burning before when um, the temperatures are low. Yeah, so basically just when the snow is starting to melt uh, off of the meadows and other things, that's usually when, you know, we go and do spring burning. So it's before the period here that, that we call like, um, 
uh, green up. So it still kind of when everything is is kind of dry before you get that fresh green grass coming in. Um, but the the nice thing about it is because you know it's it's higher humidity. There's like um, less you know less extreme temperatures. It's it's really a safe time to burn where you can kind of burn and get that nice kind of cool burning or slow burning on the landscape. And there's really low risk of, you know, having these big kind of out of control fires um, or, or an escape fire starting. Yeah. yeah. So, so here we also do what we call early burning. Uh, so early burning will be done um, just soon after the, the rainfall season when the vegetation is still fairly green uh, or, or soon after senescence. Um, so, the, the, the idea is, is to target those areas that have got high biomass, um, but in areas that have got, um, we do the early burning in areas where there are proper structures, like national parks, gazetted forest, or commercial, or, or, com- or commercial areas. So they will do early burning of blocks, um, so that by the time we come to the fire season, the fires are less intense. Um, and also there's less to burn. Okay, so who's doing or, you know, controlling that early burning? Like here, um, because it's most of that is to occur on like what we call in Canada crown land, it's usually controlled by like our provincial fire management agencies. So, you know, who can burn and, and when they can burn. I'm just wondering what it's like for, for you when you kind of say, you know, they burn, who is they? So the... Each national park has to have its own um, uh, fire management plan. So within the national park, there should be the ecologists. Um, so the ecologist in the national park and the conservancies in the gazetted forest is, is, is charged with making sure that um, uh, they keep the vegetation in check to prevent fire bombs, so to say. Because if you... If you leave the biomass building up, you can have um, very wild, disruptive uh, fires, which can, at the end of the day, um, result in um, in the whole ecosystem down. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about um, how we've spent all this time, maybe talking about uh, cultural fire in other places of the world, and it wasn't until we spoke in Tando that the fact of uh of not just the ecological restoration use of fire but we actually started he's he talking about you know the actual everyday day-to-day cultural aspect of fire like cooking and warming and 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 you know building and that kind of stuff and it's it's interesting that it took until speaking to you to get to that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know how we missed that Yeah, well, I think we've kind of been focused a little bit on landscape level fire and burning. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's such an important part of fire for uh, my community too. Like fire is a big part of ceremonial life. And maybe we got into that a little bit with um, Ron Good when we talked to him a little bit more about the, the ceremony and how fire is used in that. Mm-hmm. But no, it's really interesting. So indigenous, so like um, how many indigenous um, groups do you have in Zimbabwe? We have more than 15 indigenous groups. Okay. Um, yes, we have, we have more than 15 indigenous groups basically scattered around, around the country. Uh, but in, in terms of, um, use of fire, it's, it's more or less the same. 
it's, 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 it's more or less the same. Okay. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that is different at all. Um, the fire will be their principal source of source of energy, principal source source of 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 of, of, of light, and um, and and most of them they will still be using it for land preparation. Okay, and so do they have land that they? You know, I, I always hate the word kind of ownership, but that they like own or manage. Um, here in Canada, most of our First Nation groups were put onto reserves. So, you know, they're allowed to kind of manage on the reserve, but they're not allowed to manage land that's like the crown land that I was speaking about. For your Indigenous groups there, is that, you know, is there specific tracts of land that they're allowed to kind of steward with fire? So they will be in what we call the communal lands. So, okay. so, so, so that is the land that is owned in community, but all the land belongs to, if you don't have title to it, it belongs to the state. But we have got all the, all the user rights to, to the land. Okay. So if the, for ones that are controlled by the state, then indigenous people can go out and burn or, or yes. manage that land. Yes, yes, oh, okay. Yes. You manage it on a day to day, on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm in consultation with us. Yeah, I was going to say just kind of quite different than our experience here where yeah, it's yeah. you know the second something goes into kind of that crown ownership it, it really becomes controlled by like colonial government. Yeah, that's quite that's quite different. Uh, yeah, basically they've got all the rights to, um, to to the management of the land as long as they are within the confines of the law. So um, our organizations will be giving them technical advice in terms of when is the when is the best time to to put in place fire management such as fire guards. Um, when is the best best time to do early burning? How do you do the early burning? Um, even supporting them with equipment to do fire management, um, um, and also giving them information of how. Of how they have been burning, electric burned, um, fire incidences, the kind of uh, maps from remote sensing and stuff, to aid in the to aid in their um, to aid in their fire management strategies. Okay, interesting. And in those indigenous groups, are there certain people you know that kind of have that knowledge about burning or that carry out burning? Like here, we have some nations have what we call like a firekeeper role where it's somebody that, you know, is knowledgeable about fire and they're the ones that make the decision about where and when to burn or to use, like, kind of the, the early burning? Yeah, so anything to do with fire, um, the government has to be involved. You have to be do it in, in consultation with the government. Um, so this is a strategy to ensure that... Um, 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 Property is not um, is not destroyed in the event that one one group mismanages their fire, the other group can be negatively affected. So if you if you if you are doing it um, in conjunction with government structures, it means that um, uh, there is easy coordination uh, to ensure that um, in the event of a runaway fire, a community B. Is, is 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 protected, um, but the, the the people that are knowledgeable of of of, of fire, fire fighting are there, but now that um uh, that knowledge um, 
is no longer the cultural knowledge anymore, or or rather, we have uh, added on their cultural knowledge to 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 say that this is how you do the block burning. You have to do it when it's not wind, when there is less heat. Uh, we have to first check the direction of the wind and all those things. So we have further equipped them, the the communities, with that kind of knowledge. It's interesting to try and. Uh trying to picture what's going on there because it, it does sound very very different than what's going on here and to try and get a feel for it having never been to zimbabwe <laughs> but you should visit but us. yes we should, i should <laughs> yeah. that would be incredible <laughs> yeah. how much acreage is usually burned with early burning there like do you have an idea yeah early burning doesn't um uh well, i would say maybe in the region of um about 100,000 Yes, at most. But how much hectares on average is spent in a year? Uh, a million hectares. Wow. Okay. So is there, uh, what about the, just out of curiosity, uh, how much how much forest tree, treed area is there that's say non, or is it mostly the plantations that you have to worry about regarding to fire? I'm trying to get an idea for, is there is there a natural fire regime in, in the forested areas? So we have we have got um, what we call the gazetted forests. Okay. But in 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 the gazetted forests, it's not um, we are not going to have um, just natural spontaneous fires. Oh, that okay. is where we will do our early burning because we have got um, the foresters there, so we can do a, a managed fire 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 regime. So the gazetted forests and the national parks. This is where we will have um, um, an institution being in charge of um, of, of the plantations, uh, of the forest, or, um, or, or of the animals in the environment. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So I know, too, that you guys um, in Zimbabwe, you're part of the South African Fire Network. Is that right? Yes, we. Um, um, so, 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 so basically, Safnet is um, South. Southern African Fire Network, in short, uh, SAFNET. So this is a, 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 a voluntary organization where we come together to share strategies on fire management. We share latest science developments, and then we um, we, we also share knowledge of, 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 of the fires that can be across boundaries. So... Um, Zimbabwe um, is part of, of the SAFNET community, and we have been involved in in research to 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 look at fire management and application of remote sensing and the geographical information science technologies, um, remote sensing and GIS. And um, this has um, helped us to to ensure that also when we have got. Um, um, cross-border fires. We 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 now have a network of people around us that we can quickly, easily call on, and we are uh, also able now to 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 track and monitor these fires that may be coming from our neighbors or going to our neighbors. And in a way, this helps in standardizing um, the fire management in the region, and also. Um, uh, leveling the the fire management approaches that are being used. 
So do you find you have to have a lot of uh, a lot of collaboration then with the because you have this whole network a lot of collaboration with your with your neighboring countries and nations that to 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 co-manage you know out of control fires? Yes, yes. Um, so so the collaboration is basically in in the approaches, and then there is the collaboration in that um, in the event that there is a a, a cross border fire. You are, you know, to to quickly alert, to monitor, oh. or you can have a fire moving towards another country. You you then have to quickly um, alert your your counterparts to to be on the lookout. So um, this helps this this helps in the fire fighting and fire management. Right. I'm not sure what the situation is like here in Canada, Amy. Do like do we have something similar for, for like fires crossing the American border? Like I, I've never, I haven't heard of anything. I'm sure there's something, but <laughs> it sounds like yeah, a pretty good system to have. Like to know immediately, like okay, it's hitting this border. I call this person, and 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 things will be on their way. Yeah, I think it's coordinated partly through CIFC, Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Center, um, and like <clears throat> excuse me, even the provinces like have to coordinate, right? right? Because like if it's in British Columbia and it's on the border and moves into Alberta, you know, then it becomes Alberta's responsibility. So it, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, you know, coordination. I don't think it's always great, especially if it's like a busy fire season, you know, trying to keep everybody. And also fires are unpredictable too, right? So you might think that it's going to go over and cross the border, but then, you know, the winds might change and so it, it's, yeah, it's it's pretty complex, I think, which I imagine it is too for you guys um, in Southern Africa there. Yeah. So I, I think you are right that the, the, um, the fire direction can change, um, but it helps when you have already um, alerted um, your neighbor to, to be in the lookout than to start um, trying to mobilize when when the fire is already there. Because it takes a bit of, of a while to um, to mobilize personnel, equipment to to um, to and and, and and to get communities at times in instances where there are communities located in the root of the fire. It it um, you have to activate your your disaster management unit so that um, the um, uh, safety procedures being activated for the communities. So what kind of, uh, like, what kind of, because you were mentioning that the fire suppression is, is very different or not maybe as extensive as it is in Canada. Obviously, in Canada, we have a lot of uh, very large forests that are very thick and they burn hot and they burn big and they burn almost, you know, invincibly at times. And so we have, you know, we have things from bombers to all kinds of ground crews and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious about the types of tools that are being used to, um, like I'm, I'm sure on the on the cultural level, it's like you said, it's all very planned out and it's it's more small scale. But I'm, I'm curious as to the fire suppression activities in Zimbabwe and and what kind of tools are being utilized and how it, how maybe it differs from the West. So, so, so the biggest tool that we we use basically are fire pitas. You know, okay. uh, you know a fire pita. No, a fire pita is basically a a, a fire suppression tool whereby we have you can have a uh, you have a wooden stick, and then at the end of the wooden stick, you have a rubber. So um, you, you you then beat that rubber on the ground where the fire is to remove the oxygen from the fire. So gotcha. What's what's that made of? Is it is it like yeah? I mean, what do you make it to to smother it? Um, rubber. Yes, oh, oh yes, so rubber, rubber. rubber. Sorry, so yeah, you yeah, can okay, use gotcha, old gotcha, conveyor gotcha. belts. Okay. 
to to make the fire pitas you can use okay. old old um, tires old vehicle tires and then you cut you you cut about 45 centimeters by 30 centimeters of rubber you 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 um, you, you you open the end to make it flip so that when you hit the fire the oxygen escapes and then that rubber you tie it on, on a stick of about 1.5 meters so you'll be just holding that stick and uh, and and hitting the fire like that you'll be beating gotcha. the fire using a fire beater yeah i think that imagine that that's yeah, hard work the, the, i think it's <laughs> called working on fire the group out of south africa yeah. They use like they have lots of videos online, Matt, where they show them using the fire beaters to yes, yes, to put yes, out fire. Yes, yes, yeah. Right. So and then we will also have right. our um, knapsack sprayers. Um, so especially the the, the farmers, um, they have knapsack sprays that they use to apply chemicals. So 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 they also bring the knapsack sprays. Oh, okay. um, I've noticed that you guys that side you've got fire blowers. Um, in, in, yeah, we've got a few people that use the, the, the fire blowers. We, of course, we can also use, um, big institutions like Forest Commission, uh, like the forest and we have fire bowsers whereby you, you have a very big bowser with, um, with 10,000 liters of water and, and then a motorized, um, a pump to, to basically be firing at the fire. Um, and then you can also have fire cans that also work like a knapsack spray, where which is pressurized water coming from the can, and then and then you are sp- spraying spraying it around. Is the and 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 yeah, forgive my ignorance, but yeah, in Canada we don't have a like a water issue, right? I'm assuming in the savannah the water is probably a lot more sparse than than what we have here, right? So he's probably a lot more cautious with the use of that, or yes, um, but. Um, if there's a fire, you you better use the liquid water you have to save your property. There you go. <laughs> Prioritize. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> is there any is there any use of uh, like like digging tools or anything like that? Because it sounds like it's it's mostly grass fires and that kind of thing. Is there? Do you guys create fire line or anything? Yeah. So so the we don't have to dig anything you don't have to rake anything when you're fighting fighting mm-hmm. the fires because um the the above ground biomass is uh, it, we don't have mul- mulch oh, we don't okay. have mulch so um, there's less foliage and, and mulch so so you don't need anything uh, oh, okay. like that okay yeah. so yeah it just burns on top of the soil kind of then yeah Okay. I'm wondering too, Nando, if you can share like a, what a significant fire event that you remember in Zimbabwe. Have you had any recently? You know, here we've had multiple events that have been big, you know, that have really impacted a lot of people, like the Fort McMurray fire, where there was a hundred thousand people evacuated, or, you know, British Columbia last year had another terrible fire season. I'm just wondering if you have any, like a story or something you wanted to share. Yes, the, the the significant fire that we have had, um, I think it was around um, 2010 um, in the Midlands uh, province. So this is a pro- province located at the center of the country um, where we had an extensive fire. Um, I think it lasted for about three days. And in the process, we lost um, we lost um, quite a number of animals. We, we lost we lost, I think, about um, I think it was uh, it was about seven seven elephants, 
and um, and, and and donkeys that got trapped. You know what you'll be having in the farms is that the farms will be demarcated by um, by fence. So when the fire starts and there's the fence, they they got caught up, cornered up in the in the fence like that. Wow. So it was really extensive and. Um, and we really lost a lot in terms of wildlife and and also domesticated animals cattle and and also and also donkeys that we use for trout power yeah yeah that was that was uh, yeah. pretty bad so so do people evacuate from that fire like do they like here you would you know people would um, there'd be an official evacuation order and then people would like, you know, move for a while to a host community till it was safe to return? Yeah, so our fires don't get to that level where you have to uh, to desert and uh, and leave you and leave your, your place in community. Um, so what we do is that we've got fire breaks. We would do fire breaks. Um, so the fire breaks allow um, us to to get there and then fight the fires. So these fire fire breaks, fire guards, um, they they really help a long way in in reducing the total area that will be bent by the fires. So um, because of that, we have not yet in a, a, a situation where we had to end up evacuating a community to go to to go to go elsewhere. We can just have a few households, three four households being affected, but not the whole community. Yeah, would 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 um, definitely manage the fire before it affects the whole village. Yeah, interesting. I I want to I want to get back to the like the cultural aspect a little bit. I wonder, like, I was thinking more along the lines of the, the ceremonial aspect. Um, like, for example, uh, I mean, Amy can do a better job of this than I can, but <laughs> uh, I was thinking about how uh, when colonization happened here in Canada. Uh, cultural fire was was pretty much um, was pretty much put a stop to right. Besides besides folks who were able to to do it uh, and hide it from the colonial powers that be, and as a result, a lot of a lot of that knowledge was was uh, was lost or not lost, I shouldn't say, but was you know was forgotten for a few generations. And there's a there's a resurgence now of of people refinding that part of their culture and. and and having ceremony around it and having some kind of a resurgence of uh, a revitalization of their culture. Um, how does that relate to what's, what's going on in Africa or just in, in Zimbabwe specifically? So in, 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 in Zimbabwe, um, I think it's because the, the way um, the fire was used uh, mostly being for, for, for cooking and, um, if it is being used during um, cultural ceremonies, it will be used within the homesteads. So, um, as such, um, okay. this was not um, uh, really destabilized uh, uh, or, or, or disrupted. But but what was then oh, disrupt, disrupted was the continued use of. Um, or fire to to clear land for agriculture. Um, um, okay. Or, or 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 the use of fire for um, also also in agriculture for land preparation after another season 
where you want to clear stock and the like. So now there are regulations that are there to discourage that. Gotcha. Yeah, do you see any interest amongst indigenous groups there in trying to bring that back, those practices, or is it something that's not needed today? Um, the indigenous communities, I think they will be interested um, in having the continued use of fire for um, traditional purposes. Um, and, um, and, and, and that, I think... Um, for for the for the near future is almost um is almost going to be there uh, is is almost going to be there because luckily we have not had um any disasters emanating from from the fires that is used um, during traditional rituals traditional uh, proceedings which 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 is good and we would like to upload uh, our communities for that um the the use of fire for for agricultural pro, uh, purposes uh, definitely the communities are interested in that because it's the cheaper is the cheaper way of um of um of of clearing the land and also to them of um of pest and disease control yeah, it's interesting here about the ticks because that's one of the pri- like one of the main reasons here too why people burn in, in many areas mm. is because of of ticks um in the forest and so sometimes they'll um see like a moose or something that they has like a severe tick infestation and then they know that it's a time to burn mm. in like that moose's habitat to kind of make the forest healthier. Um so yeah, anyways, just interesting how, you know, even across continents some of the practices are pretty similar. Yes, 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 yes. I, I wanted to. Is it possible to highlight? Uh, you mentioned there's 15 different indigenous groups in the in Zimbabwe. Um, is it possible to highlight some of the maybe like ceremonial aspects of fire and and how you know in in those different indigenous groups and kind of what? No, that looks like? I don't have much details uh, about, uh, on, on on that. Okay, yeah. just kind of curious. I think we'll do. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll try and see that in, in our future engagements. We will try and link up with um, a few representatives for the various groups, so that um, in their own words they tell us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think here. I mean, a lot of indigenous communities too. I think because we're having such big bad fire events with so much bad fire that. A lot of indigenous communities here, I think, are frustrated, and we talk about it in the podcast quite a bit, that they can't put their traditional practices back on the landscape because they feel that they, you know, in addition to fulfilling cultural purposes, they also um, reduce wildfire risk, too. So I think that there's, you know, lots of times when we're faced with these kind of big disastrous fire events, people want a different solution and I think in North America, we're starting to see the general public really get a big interest in indigenous fire practices. Yes, that's that's very interesting. I think that would be like um, um, if 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 communities here were told to stop using fire for agricultural purposes, they would really really not like it at all. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they're very dependent on it for for yeah, life yeah, lifestyle, yeah, yeah. right? So it's disruption yeah. of, of of a lifestyle in favor of a of an expensive lifestyle to mm-hmm. to the person. 
Yeah, it sounds though like you guys haven't had as many like devastating fire events、um, as maybe in Canada in the last ten years. It's just we've seen so much, like so much destruction and evacuation, and yeah, it's been a tough few years. So I think that people are really, yeah, want, thinking about good fire and how it can be used in a good way, but still kind of coming up and hitting against those colonial institutions that won't let people burn. Um, like here, people were arrested and jailed, and in California, people were even murdered over burning,、um, trying to burn their territories. Okay, okay, that's pretty、yeah. bad.、Um, I think here it has not been really intense. Um, um, in, in 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 terms of fire issues, so、mm-hmm. I, I think the efforts also that we have been putting in terms of、um, fire management. We have been putting lots of effort in terms of in terms of fire management,、um, having what we call the fire season,、um, starting from the thirty first of July up to the thirty first of October. So the, during that fire season,、mm-hmm. we are not allowed to be lighting fire outside your homestead. So, okay. So, so that ensures that、um, during the fire season, you are not.、Um, We reduce the instances of people going to use fire for agricultural purposes,、uh, and and therefore eventually resulting in fire. And then during that season, we will not allow any burning of fire using fire,、uh, because that is the season when、um, our temperatures are starting to 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 go up, and we do not have、um, rainfall during that season. So and even the winds.、Um, There will be it 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 will be windy, so yes. Okay, yeah. Sounds here we've got a like a fire season too, where there's usually fire bans on,、um, as well. But yeah, we still get quite a few starts, and then the the lightning here is a big problem in in those dry periods. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting interesting difference to see because、uh, like yeah, I think you're the first you're the first person we've spoken to that's been、uh, that the The relationship to fire and the and the disruption of fire and the the landscape are so are so drastically different. It、mm-hmm. seems like for us, so it's been it's been it's definitely I've definitely seen a different side of of、uh, of fire here today for sure for me. Definitely,、well, thank you, thank you. We have to,、yeah. I think, keep talking to to people in various regions so that we see how what we can learn from um, various. Um, um, Uh, geographic locations and 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 they have more of the good fires.、Mm-hmm. Is there something you're excited about in regards to fire? Something new? Some kind of I don't know something new that's happening that you're excited about that you'd want to share here today? Maybe some development or or just new idea or anything like yes, that. Yes, I, I I think um the the use of of technology for fire management is is what is um. Is new in our side of the country, whereby、um, and this also even excites the communities.、Um, during the fire season, we are we we track the fires that will be happening.、Um, that we are able to to track the fire that is happening its location,、um, see what landscape is being burned.、Uh, is it a grassland? Is it a gazetted forest?、Um, And and see in which direction the fires is happening, and then、um, because we've got our structures on the ground, we then communicate with our structures on the ground. So and and tell them that your your 
your area your area is 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 is, is under fire um, that use of 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 um satellite technology excites them that how did you notice from far away where you are that um, i'm currently i'm currently burning but that is just um the use of 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 of, of remote sensing so and then when you come then at the end of the season and then you then show them um a graphical representation of how the different um, smaller units of of, of the art districts um, what they've been performing, they they then start relating to 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 the real areas in their jurisdiction that they saw burning. That yes, indeed, a point X bent bent more than bent more than fifty hectares. So that's why our our graph is bigger than the next area. We 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 really bent we really bent a lot. So we should um, come up with our own um, strategies to, to manage the fires. So it becomes a bit easier when they see this graphical representation in the form of our maps and in the form of graphs uh, relating to what they really saw on the ground. Your story is believable. And then on their own, they then um, the communities then want to then formulate their own management styles. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I know hotspot maps over here have gotten really popular, especially during wildfire events, because the, you know, being able every few hours to get an update on where the fire is, is pretty cool. I think, especially if you're, you know, in the path of, of the fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then for the whole country, we then do frequency maps. Uh, so the frequency maps will be at a large scale and, and over a large period of time, like five year maps. Uh, ten ten year maps, but those are those are those are for the eco- ecologist and 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 everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Exciting stuff. Yeah, it's 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 always interesting. You can get a new perspective on on something you thought you had a wrap on. Mm-hmm. Eh? Like it's it's cool to start to to start to pick apart those new those new ideas and yes, new opportunities. Yes, yes. Very well, cool. yeah, it's been so great to learn too about Zimbabwe and the the fire situation there. I know. Africa, you know, is the fire continent. And I think that we too often kind of disregard in terms of, you know, focusing on the Canada, US and Australia situation. So really excited to chat with you and continue, I think, on, you know, learning more about uh, the situation in Africa. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Amy, for for giving me this opportunity and, and, and Matthew for, for giving me this opportunity too, so that we just talk about uh, the fires in the Savannah region and the fires in the in in Zimbabwe in particular. Awesome! Thanks so much. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. Yeah, we appreciate talking to you. I definitely learned a lot, and we're we're excited to share this with our listeners. So I know I know they're gonna they're gonna enjoy learning. Yeah, about now it, so we gotta you. book the plane tickets, Matt, <laughs> to Zimbabwe. Yes, That's yes, right. we've got one of the seven wonders of the world. We have the the Victoria Falls. Um, yes, and, um, beautiful. And if you should actually come to the Victoria Falls because on the Victoria Falls we have a very big national park, which is um, interesting fire management um, uh, practice practices. So I think if you come there, um, you will really be able to. You see the Victoria Falls, you see the Wanga National Park where you have the Big Five. So the Big Five that is you have got your elephant, you have got your your lions, you have your buffaloes, you have your you have your, 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 your cheetahs, but um, all these are still trying to live uh, alongside uh, the fires. <laughs> That's very cool. I've always had a desire to go to Zimbabwe, actually. When I was in university, 
uh, a prof of mine, uh, Dr. Marty Lukert, he spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure what he was up to, but he spent a lot of time there every year. Every <laughs> year he was something interesting. <laughs> it was, it was something interesting. It was something to do with work. It was something to do with research, something to do with land management, right? Mm-hmm. But I remember he was, uh, he, he was always talking about it. I think he spent like four or five months of the, a year there for about 10 years. And ever since he was talking about how much he loved it and how, and how we just recommended that everybody go, I've always wanted to go. So this has just, uh, furthered my desire to make the trip. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope you all enjoyed that. I know uh, that definitely took me to a different place in the world. I found myself just kind of trying to picture and imagine what this looks like because, like, for me, Africa is just, you know, it's where elephants and lions are. (laughs) Yeah, I will never forgive myself for my comment about do they have lightning fires there? Yeah. <laughs> and <that being> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we do have weather. This is true. <laughs> oh, man. It Anyways. Was, it was a good conversation. So <laughs> thanks to Tando for your patience and thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. It was, it was great to, to get a snapshot of what's happening in Zimbabwe. So thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully we can get them over too to Canada. And, you know, that's one thing I think with our international wildfire community is that we need more people from Africa, from all different countries that are involved in the community because there's so many lessons that we can learn. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. All right. What's next? On to the next one. We're on to the next one, um, and we haven't recorded it yet, so we don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a surprise location. So have fun with that. An exciting one. (laughs) That's why it's taking us so long to try and get, but we promise it's going to be worth the wait. It'll be cool. At least we hope so. (laughs) (laughs) They're always cool. I agree. I don't know. I just got to put that out there because we haven't done it yet. All right. Uh, We'll We'll catch you next time. Uh, We'll see you here in a week. Take care. A huge thank you to Canada Wildfire for their support of this podcast. As well, we would like to thank the fighting Gunda Jamara for allowing us to share their fire song, Ween, as the official song of Good Fire Podcast.